Today I get to interview Yaro Starak and we get to talk about emails and freedom and all these different things. For most of you out there who are starting to get some traction in your business, you're doing some revenue, you're thinking about maybe taking some steps towards having more time freedom back. One of the things that can really get us sucked in is emails and decision-making fatigue. I know it can be hard sometimes for us to let go of control, but we're going to talk through Yaro's process and how he did it in his business and then how he launched a business to do that for others. Yaro, thank you so much for coming on the show. When for you was kind of that moment where you're like, okay, I got to like get this figured out um, and, and get you know out of my inbox? Uh, well, a long time ago. First, Matt, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I've been an online entrepreneur since I was like 19 and I'm 44 now. So I, I'm dinosaur years and, and internet years. And uh, my, my very first company, I guess I call it a, a real company. It was an, an agency that offered proofreading and editing. This was back in the days before we had uh, email on our phones. So I was traveling with that company. And in order to keep it running, I had to dive in and out of internet cafes just to check the inbox, make sure there were any jobs that needed to be you know, processed and sent to the editor and make sure the money would come in from the client. So I was in and out of internet cafes and it, it wasn't a freedom lifestyle. It wasn't what I was going for. So that's the, the final nail in the straw, actually, for me. I was still like, early 20s so you know it was a, a small business my first real income stream outside of um, university and i did it i went and hired a friend honestly there wasn't um, a structure or anything like we have today with my company but it was like i have this email and we deliver this service uh, she was about to have her first baby wanted to have a, a stay-at-home job we thought let's give it a go uh, took a month to really teach her how to run the email uh, for the company. And uh, I woke up after a month on a Monday and turned on my computer and my inbox was empty and I wasn't sure what to do with the rest of my life, to be honest. But that's the short story <laughs> of the original reason how it all got started. It, it didn't turn into a company for 15 years later, but that's where the origin of the idea is. So you were running this process for 15 years before you launched a company? In in some shape or form, yes. So it was, I was, I guess you could say the first client of the service all the way back yeah. in the early 2000s. So we built a system, a process. I ran that company for a number of years. Well, she really ran it more than I did. Uh, and then I sold that business. I got into blogging, podcasting, an education business. And I had a whole career over a decade, um, almost 15 years actually, of selling online courses, just creating content, teaching, coaching. And with that business, as soon as I could afford it, obviously it wasn't day one, but as soon as I had the cash flow, I brought in uh, an email assistant and I actually brought in two and then even a third right towards the end because I wanted to have 24 hours a day responses to emails. So, and of course, the process got refined. Um, it, they were not just email managers. They became my scheduling assistants, my, my EAs, really. I, I handed them all kinds of tasks, but they always started with email. Um, and in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, this has been the best thing I've ever done for productivity and freedom in my life because I don't have to worry that there's an email I'm not getting back to or I'm not doing good customer service, or I'm missing out on an opportunity in the inbox, or even just that stress, because it, it's kind of like the dishes, you know, that you keep making dirty dishes, you always have to keep washing them or, or putting them in the dishwasher anyway. And with emails, the same thing, you clear the inbox one day, and then an hour later, there's another email in there. So I hated that feeling of this is a never ending task, the only way to break free from it was to delegate and make it someone else's responsibility. And I also learned over time that it actually made sense to not just from a freedom perspective, but just from an operations perspective, because 
I wasn't doing a great job at this core function of, of my company. And someone else whose only job was to do this role would be dedicated to it, would get better at it, could craft systems around it. So yeah, honestly, it, it's something I, I would never go without. Now, again, it's like flying first class. You don't want to go back to coach. You always want someone handling your email. So um, I'm a big proponent of it. So let's let's talk about finances. I mean, obviously, if you're talking about executive assistant, I mean, this person needs to think like you. They need to speak like you. They need to. So they got to be, in some ways, at the same level as you in many, many respects. And so knowledge-wise and otherwise. So like, talk to me about like, where were you at financially when you made the hire? Like, like, give me the full breakdown of like, who does a person need to be? Where do they need to be to make this happen? Yeah, you touch on the most important questions. It's one, financially, can you afford it? Does it make sense? And then two, how do you actually get someone to answer emails and, and not screw it up? Which was the things I thought about. I was most concerned as an entrepreneur. So um, you know, I went through it and obviously been through it many times now. So I, I trust the process, but I will answer, first of all, the money side. Um, you know, I remember it was always the first times I was the hardest in that case, especially because my income, I didn't have a big business. I had a, you know, salary level income coming from this little agency I was running back then. And to hire someone and say, you know, you're going to do maybe two hours a day on average was probably going to take 20% of my revenues at the time. Not a lot of revenues, but a fairly chunk of my money to give them this, this role. And I was like, I, I put it off. I'll be absolutely honest. I put it off for probably too long. And then I eventually finally made the decision. It was because of that traveling experience. I'm like, this is not the lifestyle I want. What was interesting was because I handed that, that off, I was able to do other things. Like I was able to do more marketing to bring in more customers. So the company ultimately grow, grew. And then I actually was able to experiment with things like blogging. So it actually ended up spinning off an entire new career, new business, just because I had the time to explore something like blogging like podcasting, which I would not have been able to do uh, if I was managing email. I mean, today, though, it's a, it's a different question. It's um, like, I mean, it's a different for the, for the listener here. You know, you have to decide what you would get back if you would take the amount of time you're in your inbox and then say, is that two hours? Is that three? And not just the time, but the mental fatigue, the stress, the missed opportunities, all those things. Is the value creation of getting that time back and potentially the opportunities you would actually take advantage of? What is that value versus the cost of hiring someone? Um, and I'll be completely transparent. You can see this on our website. Our pricing point, we're about $1,800 a month for a couple of assistants who take over your email. So, you know, you could probably get a little bit cheaper if you outsource to lower cost labor. I, wouldn't, I won't go into the whole details, but we focus on North America and onshore just for levels of English. And if that makes sense at that pricing point and you see, see your company large enough to justify it, to me, it's a no brainer. Now, if it's half your revenue, probably too soon to be considering mm -hmm. yeah. you know, doing something like that. You, you probably should get your revenue up a bit more. To answer the other part of your question regarding how do you essentially, we call it cloning. How do you get the person to almost be you? And I want to be careful with that phrase, though, because we do not pretend to be you when we write emails. We're your mm -hmm. assistants. We're writing as part of your team. We're not writing our name as Matt and pretending to be you. So we have a process called the handover. And like you actually mentioned before, it's an evolution of the 20 years I've been doing this um, and the seven years we've been in business now. My team has, has evolved it as well. In, in short, it's uh, usually about a month long. And uh, we assign two assistants to every client. And we go through this process where... Uh, I'll give you the short version. 
we go into your inbox, we study your writing style, your tone, your, who you communicate with, what are the common situations, uh, do you have any systems in place, folders, filters, reminders, templates, operating procedures, whatever you have, we try and learn what you do, how you do it, what's your tone and style. And that's just learning. We don't try and do anything yet. But once we feel we have a good understanding of that, we usually bring in some of our own systems. We love templates and SOPs, standard operating procedures. So we usually create those for whatever processes run your company. So we have documentation to do that. Um, and then we, we bring in maybe either some folders. More often than not, we're reducing folders because people create a crazy amount of folders in their inboxes. Uh, and then we get you down to inbox zero by just you know organizing, sorting, archiving a lot. If you have a lot in there, you don't need. But obviously, we look for what's important. And then the key part of this is actually drafting emails first, not just going out there and sending replies. So we have a process. It's probably the most important part of what we call the handover, where if it was you, Matt, we'd be writing emails in reply to what's in your inbox. We'd ask you to look at the drafts before we send them. You give us any feedback, any changes, you then send the drafts. We keep doing that until you tell us, you know, those drafts, you're actually doing a great job. You can send those without you reviewing them. Uh, but as you can imagine, simpler emails, you're happy with us taking over from, you know, day one or two. More complex emails, you might want to see drafts for a little longer and then let us take over. And maybe some you just want forever to be a part of it. You might have us draft it and you just do the final touch, final review. But that might be only 5% of your most important or most complex emails. So you can be um, quite surprised how much you can actually hand over and end up being, um, I would say, even impressed because you as an entrepreneur are often rushing to answer oh. emails. So you write one sentence, you know, yes. where your assistants, they have the time to put attention to detail, customer service, you know, emotional empathy, and do a good job of that task. So it ends up resulting, hopefully, it's not instantaneous, but after we get through this handover and over time, uh, a better email than you would write, ultimately. It's just good communication. So um, it's not like, Every client's different, every situation is different, but we have this process, we bring it in, we roll it through, and it's worked for six years now, so it's pretty good. What uh, industries do you find you serve most? Like, is there a certain uh, industry that sends more clients to you than others? You know, when I started this business, I thought for sure we were going to get this, you know, very straight line, all these online coaches would use us or all these accountants would use us. And, you know, those two groups, there's certainly, we have several online coaches and we have several accountants. However, it's been so all over the place. I've been surprised. We've had lawyers, we've had used car sales, we've had bakeries, we have a rabbi, a venture capitalists, lawyers, doctors. Um, it's all over the place because everyone has email. So uh, probably shouldn't be surprised, but there isn't a typical uh, type of industry. There is a typical type of person, though. It's certainly uh, a leader, a uh, you know, founder, entrepreneur, or manager in a company that's not like super large because usually they, they have their own in house team of assistants, or maybe they're not even allowed to have someone touch their email. Um, you know, they're not so small that they can't afford it, as we touched on before. So they're probably doing at least high multiple six figures, maybe even multiple seven figures with their business. Um, and, and they're busy people. So, you know, they're probably wearing a lot of hats and that's why they need to start delegating more and more over time. And hopefully we're one of the most impactful things they can delegate straight away. So, but no, the short answer is there is no commonalities in terms of industries. 
Yeah. So industry is not the commonality, but maybe the person in their situation is, is yeah. where the commonalities lie. So, I mean, what is the adoption rate? Like, I mean, how many people just cannot get over the fact that someone else is going to be handling their stuff? Like, you know, or, or what's the timeline typically for people to start trusting? Well, let me throw it back at you, Matt. Have you ever, do you have someone handle your email now? Have you ever delegated your email before? Is this something you've experienced? So a little bit. So I've, I get assistance from, it's kind of 50-50 for me. So I handle um, a lot of the important emails because we're in the real estate industry. So we're, you know, there's certain things that legally I need to reply to. And then there are certain things that um, the risk feels too great to me. Um, but many, many things I, I, I don't feel that way on. So. You know, we have a few um, property investment and real estate clients. And yeah, you're quite right. There's some things that we delegate, so we can take over and some we can't. Um, the short answer to your question about like, are there people who struggle with the process? I think is what you're sort of asking. Yeah. Um, there have been a handful over the years who have just simply been not able to let go. Uh, they do silly things like answer all the emails before our team get into the inbox because it's they're working at nights and they just have this habit where they would do it before they go to bed or they do it on weekends or and they they just can't let go and say, no, no, this is now my assistant's job. I need to leave those emails in the inbox and let them do it. Um, and if that's the case, part of it's a control issue. You know, you, you feel like you just have to finger on the pulse of every single thing going through your inbox. Um, some people just... I don't know, they want to be the one who writes every response because they feel like no one can be them or that's what the customers want. We've actually broken that pattern for some clients. And I, I love this outcome, actually, because for some reason, accountants seem to have this problem because I guess they're very much like a one-person show. The accountant's always the one replying. And they do this thing where uh, they get that ding notice on their phone or their computer and they just stop whatever they're doing, go to their inbox, open up the email, answer it. And then all their clients or potential clients expect replies within five to 10 minutes. And as soon as they become marginally successful with a few clients, then they're just screwed because they're getting all these notifications. They can't do the work because they feel like they have to go back and answer every email instantly. So we come in and we uh, do two things. We teach them not to do that. We also teach the people they email that they're no longer going to get a reply in five minutes. It might be in three or four hours. It might even be the next morning, but it's going to happen in 24 hours. And that's you know expected and, and certainly good enough for customer service. And then the wonderful thing happens, they kind of learn to let go and they know that their emails are going to be answered at a respectable time. Uh, and, and they've essentially broken free. So you know, it's a personality thing. It's a control thing. But thankfully, usually when they come to us, they're actually the other way around. They are so sick of email. They never want to go in their inbox again. Um, they need their life back. They need to reduce stress, all those things. And, uh, you know, it, it ends up being, a, uh, I won't say easy, but ultimately a very impactful and, and um, productive uh, outcome. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. 
The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I imagine, man, like once you let go and if it's working, the, the idea of going back to it for someone who wants to build a business and has a vision. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the company that you have, you're probably training them to do, is it once a day? Like how many days, times a day is the people that you hire checking the email? Yeah, so we, we have a little bit of a different system to a lot of the agencies out there. So first thing that's different is we assign two assistants. So if it was you, Matt, we'd, we'd do a, a matching process. We'd look for two team members, ideally with maybe some real estate background. Certainly, they'd have the right time zone compatibility with you, those sorts of things. We then introduce you to them. And then for most clients, we do two check-ins per day. So one of your assistants will do a morning check-in. They'll answer all your emails, get you to inbox zero. Uh, they'll do any tasks that might be triggered by those emails. So if, you know, data entry, uh, task management tools, CRM tools, um, you know, in real estate, if it's like onboarding uh, a new rental, uh, signing a lease or a property sale document, all that sort of stuff could be completed. And then that all happens again in the afternoon, usually with the other assistant. You know, they work together, but not at the same time. They're kind of handing off to each other. And you get inbox zero end of day. And the reason we do two, it's just for redundancy. If you've ever worked with virtual staff before, there's a really unfortunate experience. I've been through it several times where you have a problem, you hire someone to fix the problem, you train them how to do it. And then a month later, they quit or they disappear and you're right back to square zero. We, we train and hire for long term, but there will be things like holidays. There will be things like sick leave. Uh, there will definitely be retirements, career changes. So by having two, they can uh, back up each other. If there is a retirement or a career change, we can replace one of them from within our team. But the existing one keeps working. You don't have a break in service. They help on board the replacement. So that's typically how it works. We have a few people who grow. You know, they, they want not just, let's say, you're, I don't know if you have any partners in your real estate firm, but maybe you got two or three co-founders or, uh, or leaders. We take over their inboxes. We add a third assistant. So it can expand and shrink as well. But typically, two check-ins a day works for most of our clients. So when one retires or leaves or whatnot, does, it, does the check-ins go down to once a day or does that person do double duty on those clients? Um, it's up. Yeah, it always depends on this, like the situation. Um, probably more often than not, they'll just do double duty and they'll just, because yeah. the, the hours are there, they'll just do both the morning and the afternoon. But sometimes it may not be necessary. Sometimes it could just be a case of, listen, the, we'll just do one check-in a day while we're training the new person. Your email's still getting cleared. It, it depends on how busy your inbox is, how like time sensitive it is, how you even feel about what's going on. Like is, if we do one check-in a day, are you okay with it? Even though it's, you know, temporary. 
Um, but yeah, it's not it's not a common problem, thankfully, to deal with. It's, it, it does, you know, no one wants to lose someone they've been working with for a while. So yeah. we try and avoid it. It is kind of inevitable. People don't work for companies forever. But uh, thankfully, having the backup makes it less disruptive than it otherwise you know, would have been. So like, talk to me about the growth of this business. I mean, were you mostly growing this business through your blog and through like, what was the sales and marketing channels for you for growing this business? Yeah, you'd think that it'd be just magic. My blog does all the work for yeah. me and we get a steady stream of clients. That was the plan, right? From the beginning. Yeah. But um, so to put it into context, my blogging business uh, six, seven years ago, I've been ready running it for about 10, 15 years. I've been selling a, a big course um, called Blog Mastermind. And it's been wonderful. It was a great career. I always recommend people if you love to teach, the internet is just amazing for that. Um, but I was kind of getting tired of recreating training and doing new content. And I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I always wanted to see if there's a business around doing email for other entrepreneurs because it was so impactful for me. But like, uh, like anyone who's been in business for a while, you know there's no guarantees. An idea is just an idea. So what I did was... Um, I, I needed to find a, a co-founder who could actually be my deliverer of services. because I'm not an email manager. So um, naturally, within my existing team, I already had three inbox managers. One of them, her name is Claire. She always showed uh, a leadership quality and she was hungry for more. And I said, you know, I think she might be a great co-founder for this idea. But hey, I don't know if it's going to work. So I approached her and I just said, listen, this is the idea. We'll do it as a test. We're, we're co-founders, 50-50. You will be the first deliverer of the email management service. I will bring the clients, fingers crossed, and we'll see if it works, see if um, what we do for my business will work for other businesses. Can we make a profit margin? Will people pay for it? All those questions. So, um, And yes, the short answer is, at first, I, I sent an email to my newsletter and just said something simple like, would you like the same people who manage my email to manage your email? And yeah. if so, book a call. Um, the, the, from that, we got five people interested, three showed up for calls, two signed up as our very first test clients. And it was interesting because one was in like a, a dissociative disorder niche and the other one was a libertarian podcast niche. So very different from what I did, had no idea whether it would work with them or not, but we rolled out the service to them. They liked it. They continued with us. Um, everything pretty much ran smoothly. And most important, we found out is there a profit margin? Can we run a company around this? And the short answer was was yes. So we kept going. And to get kind of back to the original question here, my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, my social media only got us to maybe five clients, if I can remember, maybe a bit more over time, but certainly in that first probably three to six months. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to know that we've got some cash flow. We can start hiring a little bit of a team as well. And then I had to put my marketing hat on, which I'm sure yourself and all your listeners do all the time too. If you're the owner, it's like, I'm the CMO, I'm the chief marketing officer. So um, what began was something I'm still doing six years later is a constant experimentation process of marketing yeah. campaigns. So we start with some podcast guests, uh, kind of like what I'm doing now. I I go onto podcasts, I talk about how to break free from email. Um, it, that was a, a good way to get a few new clients. I had some friends who had some successful podcasts with large audiences. So some were great, some were not so great. Um, we tried some random things that just didn't work at all, like sponsoring some conferences. Uh, I did some LinkedIn paid advertising, which did nothing. 
I did Twitter paid advertising, which got us one client. Um, I was big on, and I still am big on content. I'm a blogger at heart, SEO, content marketing. I really believe in that. So we began, once we knew this was going to be a business, we started a website and I knew this is going to be something we'll have to build up over time. So that was happening. I was writing blog posts, targeting keywords. Um, we eventually hired someone to do that, but we have a lot of content now on the site. So, uh, and then to flash forward to today, you know, we've continued to do more experiments, but really Google has been both search and paid have been a, a big source of new clients podcasting still works um we get a little bit from youtube because we've started to turn our articles into videos referrals of course because the bigger you get i i know talking to a, a real estate agent person referral is, is bread and butter so everyone knows <laughs> how effective referrals can be 100%. Um, and, yeah and then there's this things that completely surprise you like uh Someone was in a board meeting and another member of the board said, you should get your email outsourced. There's this company who did. I know that's a referral source, but it's kind of like you never see where those will come from. So, um, And we're about to roll out some Facebook and Instagram ads for the first time, which is probably surprising how long it's been. But we've been really trying to dial down our Google and get that right before we move on to Facebook. Yeah. So uh, that's where we're at now. Cool. So... How, what have been the challenges? I mean, obviously marketing and sales can be a challenge for a lot of companies, but as you've grown, like, has it been hard to hire? Like what have been maybe some of the secret difficulties, uh, of growing the business? Yeah, you, you catch me at an interesting day. I just did my monthly call with my co-founder, Claire, and, and she wears the the hiring and the process building and all the team management side. And, and I work with a small marketing and sales team, but of course we talk a lot and interact a lot. What there's been a couple of inflection points uh, to answer your question. Yeah. I think one is when we maybe three. The first one, probably the easiest and obvious, was the first time we hired someone else other than my co-founder to manage <laughs> right. email. So you know, yeah. can we te teach people to do this and do it for other companies? And that was not like it's not a one day, one month, even one year. It's like you you're constantly learning about how to find the right needle in a haystack person take them through a testing, vetting, training, background checks, all that. We have a course they actually go through before they work with a client as well that Claire built. Um, so that's been a big part of it. Just, we've, we've created a machine and Claire gets full credit that essentially hires, you know, finds and filters away the 99 out of 100 people who are not a good fit, finds the right people, the people who want sort of a bit of lifestyle freedom, but they have amazing attention to detail, great written communication skills, are very good interpersonally because working with founders can be really rough because founders can be very high stressed and high strung. Yep. So you got to find oh, good communicators. Yeah. So that was sort of the first thing. Um, then when we got big enough, it was about creating a management layer on top of this too, because um, as most founders eventually, uh, hopefully if they get to the right stage, ask themselves, what happens if I can't do my job? So what happens to me or what happens to Claire? So we wanted to make sure there were people that would essentially take over the hiring process the matching process the the lead nurturing follow-up process on, on my side uh, and we're still kind of doing this like we we've got most of it outsourced but there's certain things that um, myself and claire like to do like i still love to do the sales calls because i learned so much talking to potential customers and claire still is ultimately building pick, uh, systems but she delegates more than she builds them herself so I think building the management team has been um, the second and, and definitely the the, the, uh, the most satisfying. Well, I have to ask Claire to be sure. She might have 
maybe building the hiring <laughs> machine was more satisfying, but right. um, for me, probably just building the Google machine has been the most satisfying from the marketing side. But, and then now as we're talking almost like literally today, we we're kind of creating redundancy. So we we're so big on redundancy. That's why we have this two assistant policy for our clients. But we realize there's certain parts of our business where we don't have enough redundancy as well. So if one key management team person leaves, there's no backup other than myself and Claire. And we both don't like that because it's it's a little fragile. It's relying a little too much on one person. And if we can spread it across multiple people and each person has a backup for emergencies as well, that's where we prefer to operate. So we've definitely been talking about that as our next step. It's not it's not in place yet. It's in place yeah. for certain parts of the company, but not all of them. So that's what we're working on internally uh, next. But you know, it's a machine that you never stop building. So that's what running a business is. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Amazing, man. Thank you for being so transparent too. I really like to see how the inner workings of businesses work. What is your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? Well, what I just said is definitely a big part of the next 12 to 18 months. So creating more redundancies in our management team. Um, I'm actually really excited about the Facebook and Instagram marketing. I mean, I hope, fingers crossed, it actually works, but not just for the pure let's get more clients goal, which obviously everyone wants growth, but there's something about um, the brand aspect. I don't think people necessarily talk about this. Like I'm, I'm running a service agency. Branding, we're not Coke or Apple. We don't really need to talk about big level branding, but there is something to be said about being the company that people talk about when it comes to solving a certain problem. And even if they don't buy from you, seeing the Facebook ads, the videos, the testimonials, and same with the case studies on Instagram, I guess as a real estate agent, you kind of get this because that's why real estate agents forever have been putting billboards on yep. um, you know, telephone booths and, and bus seats and things like that. And they, they don't necessarily get a sale direct from that, but they create the local localized awareness that I'm the real estate agent for this area. Same thing for us. We're trying to create going forward now. Uh, not just a direct response marketing answer, but inboxdone.com is the leader for handling your email. We've, we've been in business the longest. We have the most systems built up. Um, it's our specialty. There's a lot of agencies that provide virtual assistance, but we're the email specialists. So I'm looking to create more generalized awareness. So that's probably from a marketing point of view, since that's my main hat, what I'm looking forward to the most um, for this company. Which is really interesting too, because I've interviewed some people and I can't remember if this was on a podcast or if this was just a conversation I had, but I was talking to a guy about a billboard he pays $15,000 a month for. And I was just asking him, I'm like, hey, I'm just curious, like how many sales have you made from that billboard? And he's like, I have not in a few years of $15,000 a month made a single sale off that billboard. And like, obviously the natural question is like, why in the heck would you spend 180 grand a year on a billboard that makes you sell sales? He's like, because when I have the billboard, my direct mail converts five times better. Mm. And so it makes my, my direct mail so profitable that it's worth the $15,000 a month, which is kind of a, to what you're saying, right? Which is yeah. that a lot of times awareness and decision-making and sales decision-making is a multi-touch process. Um, and so certain things like ads can be the billboard. And then the other method is what gets the job done. Yeah, yeah. And it's a credibility thing too, right? Like you're the company that continued to afford to pay to run those ads, even in his case as a direct loss, an indirect win. Uh, but that says something, you know, he's successful enough that he can do that. 
and wants to play that game and wants to be known for that. So I'm hoping, um, you know, we can be the Coke for email management services. <laughs> Love it, man. Well, thank you so much, Yaro, for coming on and sharing about your life and your business and being just obviously transparent, vulnerable with us about what's going on. And obviously this could be such a huge need for a lot of people because they're spending so much of their day, mental energy, et cetera, in places that are not revenue generating and maybe an even away from being free and passionate, which is obviously what we're about. So guys, if you're out there listening to this and you're thinking, man, like this is maybe something I'm not figured out. Take a listen to this episode, like share with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 